Ahoy, authors! You're listening to the Writership Podcast, a show focused on helping indie authors master self-editing skills. So come aboard and get ready to find the treasure in your manuscript with hosts Leslie Watts and Clark Chamberlain. Welcome to episode 92 of the Writership Podcast. I'm Leslie Watts here with Clark Chamberlain from the Book Editor Show. Every week, we demonstrate editing in action with tips that you can use to improve your own stories. If you want to learn more about the Writership Podcast, visit the website at writership.com slash podcast. As you know, the Writership Podcast is brought to you by the good folks at Author Marketing Club, home of the new and improved Amazon Reviewer Grabber tool. You know you need high-quality reviews for your book, so you should use the AMC Reviewer Grabber tool to quickly and easily locate reviewers that are ready, willing, and able to review your books for you. Become a premium member of AMC now by visiting www.authormarketingclub.com and get instant access to this tool and more. Hey, Clark. How's it hey. going? Good, Leslie. How are you? <laughs> I'm all right. I'm all right. I uh, I just want to remind folks uh, really quickly, if you didn't get a chance to listen last week to episode 91, that there is a birthday book giveaway. Not that the books are about birthdays, but they're about the craft <laughs> of writing. And it's two of my favorites and two of your favorites, Clark. And yep. uh, and if you send a screenshot of your review that you have left or will leave on, on iTunes or Stitcher, we'd be so grateful and we will enter you in the drawing for these four fantastic craft books. And again, you can you can check out the show notes for the uh, for the titles in case you know, you're really choosy that way or you can um or I'm listen not to enter episode... for those books <laughs> what i'm not gonna enter for those books oh, those are crap come on no <laughs> no these are great books these because are they're books. our favorites and and really helpful awesome books so you can listen to episode 91 if you haven't already too and get the names of those and a really awesome editorial mission so all right on with the show <laughs> I have a quote from Robert Wood, who says, pacing is the speed at which the reader perceives things to happen in the story. What's the difference? Speed is objective, but your reader's perception of speed isn't. As a writer, you can make a fleeting moment last a week or a year go by in a blink of an eye. Yeah, that, you know, it's such an interesting distinction to make, I think, Mm -hmm. that 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 it's not necessarily the the rate at which you're providing information, but the rate that the reader perceives it, the rate that it's unfolding for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and that's what we're going to talk today about after um, with this submission here, you know, because pacing is, plays such an important part. You know, think of, think of uh, your art and writing as someone who's a musician, right? Mm -hmm. And each one of those pieces are different, right? You know, you have beats per minute and, and this song comes across and it brings this energy and, and upbeatness where you have this other song, which draws the notes out and, and makes things long and, and it just feels more tired and, you know, it changes the entire thing. And that's what you want to do. You, you, you don't want everything to be the same pace. You want to, you want to put together this great 
written symphony for your book, you know, and, and really be able to put all this stuff together well. That's a great analogy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. So it's really important. And it's kind of like a symphony. It really is, you know. And um, this one's got, this one is going to be, you know, it's like going to a dance club. It's going to be fast paced. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. All right. Well, without further ado, I will introduce you to day fi- day 115. It is a not yet published, a science fiction novel by J.M. Bedard. Uh, and the word count is 62,000 words. And Clark will read from the first chapter. Chapter one, day 114. Mayday, mayday, mayday. Joan Taggart's voice crackled over the radio, making her sound infinitely far away. And for practical purposes, she was. Engine, right engine's down, and left is responding sluggishly. I have to land. Over. To Gary, she sounded unnervingly calm, but he didn't have thousands of hours flying shuttles, while Joan did. The main monitor displayed the shuttle's forward view. Joan's view encompassed towering spires of rocks in all directions, making Demeter 3's crash site look like a tabletop by comparison. Shuttle 2 was losing altitude, bringing the rough terrain closer and closer. Acting Captain Craig Spares leaned over the duty officer, Lucas Ordaz, to get a closer look at the landscape. Gary hovered by the door, feeling outside his element, but unwilling to leave. His wife was on the shuttle. Taking a deep breath, he tried to forget that he hadn't taken time that morning to ask her why she was going. There, Craig said, pointing to a piece of landscape that looked the same as the rest. He picked up the microphone and pressed the transmit button. Shuttle 2, there's a flatter region at your 2 o'clock. Aim for that. Over. Margo, get your helmet on, Joan said, unaware she was transmitting. Control, say again about the landing site. Over. Your 2 o'clock. They don't have their helmets on, whispered Gary, his eyes fixed on the screen display, the shuttle's forward view. All their sensors showed that Thesson's atmosphere lacked oxygen. If the bubble of the shuttle's hull was compromised, their atmosphere suits were all that would keep the two people on the shuttle alive. Dr. Holbrook, get ready to receive casualties, said Craig, without looking away from the monitor. Gary didn't move. Rescuing Joan and Margo was impossible. The only other shuttle lay trapped beneath a mangled hangar, its pilot dead in the initial crash. They watched helplessly as the shuttle's flight pattern grew more erratic, creating the illusion of the pillars of rocks dancing and twisting. As it got closer, the rock formations appeared to be grabbing at the shuttle with monstrous arms and Lovecraftian tentacles. Watching made Gary feel sick to his stomach, but he couldn't turn away. A single rock tower loomed in the display. In a split second, the monolith of pockmarked gray consumed the view. The display went black, and Joan's life sign, monitor, winked out. Can you get any visuals, demanded Craig. Lucas looked down to the secondary screen in front of him and began searching the video feeds. Margo, can you hear me, transmitted Craig, seeing that Margo's life signs remained strong. It appears she got her helmet on in time. But she only has 25 minutes of air. No, make that 20 minutes, said Lucas, reading Margot's suit sensors. He turned to Craig. Her suit has a leak. She needs to fix it right away. Margot, do you hear me? Said Craig into the comm system. There was no reply. Can you bring up her helmet cam? Lucas turned back to his display. 
It appears to be damaged. Look. Lucas switched the main display view. The screen showed mostly black with a few patches of smudged light. Okay, keep trying the other cameras. Lucas flipped through views until he came to the shuttle's cargo hold view. The camera, once showing the shuttle's interior, now surveyed the gray landscape. Harsh blue light from the brighter sun, Helios fully illuminated the area. They could see a slice of the valley floor surrounded by finger-like rock formations. The crushed forward section of the shuttle could just be seen at the top of the screen. Debris littered the landscape between the two sections. Margo, please respond, transmitted Craig. The three of them stood in silence as they waited. Gary closed his eyes, hoping to hear Margo's voice. There, movement, said Lucas. And Gra- Gary look- leaned in to look. He pointed to where the valley floor moved. A gray mass extended upwards. Thick waves of what appeared to be vicious drips slowly revealed the mass to be a human form. Is the valley floor liquid? asked Craig. It shouldn't be, but I can't get any situ details, said Lucas. All the shuttle sensors died in the crash. To Gary, it looked like thick mud coated Margot's suit. With muddy-gloved hands, she was trying to wipe the sticky goo off her visor. After a few moments, she must have got enough mud off to see the aft part of the shuttle wreck. With mud halfway up her shins, she started wading through the wreckage. Ten minutes of air, said Lucas. Margot, respond, said Craig again. Gary watched Margot emerge fully from the sludge and walk to the aft section. Mud clung to every surface of her suit. There's no way she'll find a tear in her suit with all that mud, said Lucas, checking the sensor readings once again. Margot stopped and stared directly at the camera. Gary couldn't make out her face under the smeared surface of her helmet. Alarms must be going off telling her she was leaking air. Why isn't she trying to fix her suit? Five minutes. Margot turned and stepped out of view. Bring up her helmet camera, snapped Craig. Margot, respond. Leave her alone said Gary, his eyes fixed on his wife's life signs. Let her have some peace. She's out of air, said Lucas, slumping into his seat. On cue, Margot's life sign monitor winked out. Okay, thank you. Um, mm-hmm. That's, um, yeah, <laughs> so that's a pretty fast pace. Um, and uh, I want to, We'll talk about pacing in a moment, but I want to talk about like it's just a a, a rip roaring like whoa like it's really it's a really exciting scene to to start the, a novel with and and there are lots of really interesting little questions that the author has kind of dropped for your reading pleasure uh, <laughs> essentially you know like the we have this. Uh, you know, where, where Gary thinks, you know, he hadn't asked Margot why she was going on the shuttle. And, and so it's like, well, that's an interesting question. Mm -hmm. And then his wondering about why isn't she trying to fix her suit uh, is another thing that where I'm like, yeah, like, uh, that I think that's an interesting question that the, you know, that the author has left uh, for us in, in a way that's that's subtle but it's also like it's close to the surface so we can you know we can kind of grab it like yeah what's going on there Uh Um, and then i like the planet too that it it's almost 
sentient. And I don't know uh, how that works out. I know that there's um, some interesting investigations that go on. But but to me, it seems that the that Thesson is it's almost like it's sentient with the rock spire tentacles mm-hmm. and the mud is, you know, there's something about that mud that is not altogether normal. So uh, I love these details that the author has included. And the, the other thing I, that I think is really interesting, or I should say another thing <laughs> is the, the interaction and the contrast between, or not really, not much interaction, but the contrast between Gary's reaction and Craig's reaction, because mm-hmm. Gary is Margot's husband. And and so you would think that he would be feeling it more acutely, like he would be more anxious. And and it may be that he is, but his reaction is, is very subdued compared to Craig, who seems to be kind of freaking out uh, and and not kind of he's freaking out and <laughs> and Gary's just kind of calmly watching not that he's not feeling it but his reaction is different and i like the contrast between the two mm-hmm. and you know who doesn't love to be in that command center when everything's going down i think that's one of the fun things about sci-fi um you know or even like old world war 2 navy uh battle type stuff but just that thing, you know, where there, everyone is, all this stuff is happening and you aren't actually physically able to do anything, but you're trying to help out, right? You know, you're, you're, you're monitoring stuff and you're shouting at people, but really you're just in this room and you're not at the ship and you can't help them put things together. And so it, I love that feeling of, um, that, that is developed there where you have these people who want to help and yet they can't do it. You know, like um, Lucas can't turn the air back on for her. He can't do anything to help her clean the mud off to find the the thing. You know, all they can do is, is say, hey, you need to do this now fast. Yeah. Yeah. So. Oh, that's a good point. And oh, it's really it. it help, I think it really helps pull you into the experience of the characters when we can feel it that way so strongly too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, you know, after reading this, um, this is the third time I've read through this and I think it's the first time I picked this up. So is Gary Dr. Holbrook? Yes. I, okay. that is my, that's my impression. And my impression is that the author wanted to, keep it a secret from us uh, for or or delay revealing that that Margot and Gary are um, married and mm-hmm. I didn't pick I didn't pick up at it on it in the beginning either that that I was like oh, okay Dr. Holbrook we have a fourth person on the right sh- you know on the wherever they are and um, and so, yeah, so that it's, it's a little, it was, I had to slow it down, slow down my reading of the, of the, the chapter in order to pick up on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it was this point, you know, where I'm reading it out loud here is the first mm-hmm. time I'm like, oh, Dr. Holbrook, get ready to receive casualties, said Craig without looking away from the monitor. Gary didn't move. Rescuing Joan and Margo was impossible. I was like, oh. Maybe he is Dr. Holbrook, and that's why he's there. Because I was trying to figure out why Gary was there. 
watching all this stuff happen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, because he didn't seem to be doing anything else in the situation here. And go ahead. Sorry. Oh, and I was going to say, and I I think that's the pacing here is good. The story is going to be really cool. The, The thing I think with this is that there's some, and it's harder to do. In a book, like this would play out so well on film or TV, you know, like in a visual image, but it's harder to put this together. And so you have to, you have to add a few extra little words so that the reader knows what's going on and can place things around in this room really quickly and see the monitors and see the people and how they're moving. Right. Yeah. I, I think that that, that for me is the, is the big challenge and that the pacing is, would be fine. Because it, I mean, it feels really fast to me, but but I think what it what it is is that it's so fast that it it, it prevented me from absorbing and making sense of, for example, where the where uh, Gary and Craig and Lucas are. You know, what's their vantage point? They're mm-hmm. on. Are they on another ship that's nearby? Are they back at headquarters? Are they, you know? It wasn't clear to me. And I had some, you know, some confusion about some of the other elements because actually initially I wondered, are Gary and um, and Joan on the same ship? Like, yes. Like, uh-huh. like Joan could be the pilot and, and Gary could be like the flight engineer or the functional equivalent <laughs> in this world. Uh, and so... It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't clear to me. And I think it's okay to have some mystery about that. But we need um, an anchor or two that holds us in place. So you can have the mystery about who, you know, withholding the fact that that Gary is Margot's spouse. You know, you can withhold that for a while uh, if there, you know, if there's a good reason to do that. Um but but I feel like we you know we if we could have at least had a really clear idea of where the the guys were and and what their vantage point was and and mm-hmm. what they were doing um, there in that space then then the pace wouldn't bother me at all because it was really fun um, mm-hmm. to you know like to just be sucked into that world immediately. Right. You know, and uh, this is definitely in media rest for sure. You know, like we're right here in the middle, dropped right into it uh, in this action that's going to take place here. And um, and it's great, you know, and it, the pacing for this when in the crash and all this stuff that's going on, that this was this works here. Um, but exactly like you're saying, you know, it's just it's not knowing what's going on. And, and it's lines like this, you know, uh, the main monitor displayed the shuttle's forward view, period. Jones view encompassed towering spires of rocks in all directions. And so is the shuttle's forward view Jones view or is Jones view like it's those types of things that made me jump back and forth and I wasn't sure where I was at. Mm -hmm. And easy fixes to this type of stuff is to just have your POV character just use their name. You know, Gary's eyes were glued to the main monitor displayed and as he watched the ship that Joan was in towering you know whatever it is but like just separating these little tiny things and just having the right direction placed so that my mind as i read this can be pointed where it needs to go remember you're you're directing the camera you're Mm -hmm. showing me where i need to be and you need to make sure that i understand it right right yeah that's precisely 
precisely it. And, you know, it's funny because uh, my initial recommendation was, oh, I think, you know, I think you really need to slow it down. But yeah, in, in retrospect, if we just have those little anchors about, you know, Gary is looking out the, or he's looking at the view, you know, at the monitor at Jones, you know, this, um, at her, her view, her, her video feed, her video feed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Then he looked at the monitor displaying Jones video feed and that we would know that they're in two separate places. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to mention, uh, yeah, as I said, it's funny because I've got this, uh, I've got the, the, editorial mission is about pacing but really actually i would i wouldn't necessarily recommend that the author change it but but that there are things to do if you know that you need to increase or decrease your pace and there's kind of a list of things there and and keeping in mind as you you know when you're assessing the pace that you have a normal pace probably that you're most comfortable with. Like I have a very slow kind of unfolding pace, but which is very different from, (laughs) from this. And so kind of being aware of what you normally write, uh, and then also being aware of what, you know, what your story needs in this moment. Cause it's not, you don't want to have this breakneck pace all the way through though. It's a great way to open it Mm -hmm. here. Um, you'll want to give the reader a rest and let them breathe. Because <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I think I did hold my breath. Um, but but it's, uh, but yeah, so it's being mindful, again, to the needs of your story when you, um, when you want to increase tension, when you want to, like, get everybody, when, you know, when things are unfolding quickly and, and that, that they're, um, yeah, there are tools to use, which include, of course, you know, the standard ones people talk about that you can, you know, shorten the, the, your sentences uh, and your paragraphs and your chapters and that those things, you know, increase the pace of your story. But it's also like, you know, the, the zoom lens, essentially, like you zoom in close, you get really close to the action and being able to see things and and then you know the the balance of dialogue to action and exposition and when you have more action more dialogue but less explanation and exposition it tends to make uh-huh. it go faster and there are some other um other methods too that will be in the show notes but but I wanted to share a little of that and and in through this piece it certainly does do exactly what you were just saying, you know, and, uh, we, you see people pointing at things and we're, we're zooming in, we're really checking some of this stuff out. And, uh, in fact, you could probably even change, there's this one where it says acting captain Craig spares and the duty officer, Lucas Ordaz. you know, like you could even drop those down. I mean, we've done it through the rest of it where we don't know who's who and we're just seeing people mm-hmm. and we're just seeing people run around and, <laughs> and then later, you know, like all of this gets lengthened out not in this chapter but you know like the next chapter where you'd have to slow things down so we could take a breath and figure out why gary's response was one way um versus you know lucas responses some slumping in the chair you know Mm -hmm. and we could see these different things wind out 
Right, right. It's going to be really interesting. I think the next scene. Um, mm-hmm. Although I don't think I don't think it necessarily goes chronologically. I know that oh. just from from some uh, from a little email exchange with the author that I, I know that we do that we see we will see this scene again later in the story, but it will be from a different point of view. Oh. So uh, so that's something interesting, uh, mm-hmm. and so but. But really seeing, like, what's the aftermath of this? How are these three men going to interact with one another and, and react to what's just happened? Uh, uh-huh. Because, right, there's a, there's a comment that, uh, that they wouldn't be able to go help them help the women, you know, help Joan and Margot anyway. That the uh-huh. only shuttle that they could use was... Uh, where was that? that Buried was, in the debris of uh, something. Of the hangar? That, of the hangar, yeah. Yeah, yeah so it's kind of, that's, they, what am I saying? <laughs> they, <laughs> so they weren't, they weren't going to be able to help them anyway. Right. And, and that there was, you know, that, that Gary was really the first one to come to that conclusion and, and understand that. So, what are they going to, you know, what are they going to do now? What's, you know, what's kind of, uh, happening, um, is really intriguing to me. So I think, you know, it's such a great setup for the novel with lots of questions for us to mm-hmm. ponder and Absolutely. stay up late <laughs> reading, <laughs> reading to find out the answers to, mm-hmm. um, you know, one another thing I wanted to talk about was that um, that this it was it's really like I boiled this down to the like what so what is really happening here, and we have this you know we have shuttle two is going to Thesson, right? They get engine trouble. Mm-hmm. Margot's not wearing her helmet. There's no way to rescue them, so. That you know, so we have that like that that little that sequence of events. So we have the situation, the shuttle, but then these three problems. One of the mm-hmm. problems is solved, but but you know because Margot does get her helmet on, but at that point, like it, there's no way to rescue them. They're gonna crash, and then the, so there's the then the second little little sequence is that you know in the crash joan dies well Mm -hmm. then um they're the men are trying to craig in particular is trying to communicate with Margot. she has her helmet on but she has only 20 minutes of air and it's leaking they can't access her camera so they can't really see close up like what she what is she seeing what is she experiencing and um and then they see her covered in this really weird sludgy mud and she's not going to be able to find the leak. So it's these two like really dire sequences of events that that happen that are just I think it's really well constructed um, within that, you know, within the framework of this chapter where mm-hmm. we're being introduced to this world. And, and like I said, we have these great questions that we're going to want to investigate. Yeah. Um one one quick thought. Uh, this is something that can help you if you've got a scene that's got a lot of these 
of people moving around and things happening Mm -hmm. and you're having difficulty like trying to explain it, it's not a bad idea to actually grab a piece of paper and draw out the room and draw out where people are at and what it is that they're doing. If you can get a better visualization, a visual look at it, it can help you go back then and write some additional stuff out so that you can mention how the computer monitor is, how far away it is from the door that Gary is sitting at or something like that. You know, if you can get a visualization, a lot of times it can help you out in making a complex situation like this work faster. Right. Oh, yeah, that's such a great idea because because the author probably sees this so clearly, Mm -hmm. you know, in, in the mind's eye. But but for us readers, we're not really, you know, we're, we're not privy to all that. So we need to make sure that all those details get get on the page. And I actually, I had a, a client recently and I suggested in their battle, you know, that they actually get the little, get some Legos <laughs> or something out and, uh, and use them to, you know, to, to, you know, to play it out, to act, you know, to see yeah. it because yeah, just as you say it, it allows you to, um, to catch things that are, well, wait a minute, if this person is over here, they can't be then back over here in the, in the next you know, in the next scene or what, you know, whatever the issues are, you're more likely to uncover them in, if you're doing, if you're going through that. And then of course, it's a great, um, a great reason to have beta readers, uh, for your story because you can use that, you know, you can get their feedback about, you know, what, what's clear and what's not. That's all I had. That's all I had on this one. So. All right. All right. So <laughs> I already gave you, you a mission? preview, yes, of the <laughs> editorial mission. But we're talking about pacing, right? And so to get a, a feel for the pacing in your story and what will work best in individual scenes, I think really it is if you don't have a, a good feel for it, then experiment and, and use like – tell the story in you know try like fast medium and slow you know not the whole story but a scene if you're struggling with it and try especially those pivotal scenes in your story where where you know where a lot is happening or where you're revealing important things and and just practice it practice and use the methods to increase the pace and decrease the pace and if you're having a hard time figuring out where you're at like what what is your pace like I know I'm kind of slow um (laughs) uh but but if you're having a hard time figuring out then then just reverse engineer it if you you know and see like are you writing in short sentences are you changing the scene and the point of view character often are you are you uh, do you have almost no exposition uh and and that kind of thing and if you are noticing that then you know that your pace is probably pretty quick and that the rate at which the reader is receiving information perceiving information is going to be pretty quick and and then the opposite is true if you have the longer sentences if you have more exposition if you linger in describing things and and introducing characters and places then then you're at a you know you're at a slower pace especially like if you have room for reflection as well so um 
so that you can kind of get a feel for what you do normally and then um, and then figure out like what does this scene call for and I should I realize I don't have that kind of I don't have that information that assessment so I will work on that for the show notes so that you have a better idea of well what does it you know obviously action scenes chase scenes things like that fight fighting mm-hmm. scenes like will all mm-hmm. be require a quicker pace just most of the time because of the, you know because of the nature of them and then you know more reflective uh scenes or um you know ones where people are um, the you know the the sequel part of the scene right uh-huh. the reaction to what has happened is often a slower scene and you often will have you know the back and forth so that it's varied yeah like the symphony so <laughs> um, so ultimately I want you to experiment with your pacing and try a try writing one scene at different rates uh, and and used an experiment with different ways of increasing and decreasing the pace so that you can really get a handle on that uh, on the pace pick up the pace I, I don't know why I'm thinking that advertisements are always you know present <laughs> <So>. <laughs> they, they must be working yeah right right so important to be aware Okay. All right. Well, that's all I have for the mission. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, the Writership Podcast is brought to you by the good folks at uh, the Author Marketing Club, which you can find at www.authormarketingclub.com. Don't forget, when you become a premium member today, you'll gain access to the new and improved Amazon Reviewer Grabber tool. All right. And before we go, I want to remind you that you can find the show notes at writership.com slash episodes. Uh, and you can go there to sign up to have the editorial missions delivered to your inbox. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher. If you want to enter the birthday book giveaway, then send a screenshot of your review to writershippodcast at gmail.com. And finally, if not finally, I have two more things. If you want to have your five pages reviewed, you can submit them at writership.com slash submissions. And finally, last but not least, check out the book editor show, which Pete, which Clark hosts with Peter Turley. That's it for episode 92. We'll see you next time on the Writership Podcast. Ready for Leslie and Clark to help you find the treasure in your manuscript? Submit your pages to writership.org forward slash podcast.